Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I got Texas early, I don't know what time it was in Germany, but Alex and the crew made it that are going there. They are on a train to Bonn. Alex and his team are on a train to Bonn. And uh, the other team is moving to Braunschweig. So that's, that's good news. They made it. Um, wanted to let you know about something you may want to add to your Christmas list. I don't know if you're an early kind of person, gets ahead of the game and starts thinking through Christmas, making your list and checking it off and all that kind of stuff. Or uh, maybe you haven't thought of this yet, but there's something you may want to add. We are having a special Christmas offering this year. Uh, most years we do this. We have an offering uh, where we pool our resources to send out beyond Church in the Valley uh, to meet the needs of other ministries who are serving to help people meeting needs, helping people come to know Christ. Uh, the offering begins today and will go through January 5th. So you have some time to pray it over, think about it, consider what you might give uh, to the offering. There is a little quarter sheet flyer in your program that you may want to look at. Uh, we're, we're giving uh, the offering to different, to different ministries. Uh, 10% of the offering will go to the World Missions Fund uh, through our denomination, named after a pioneer missionary to China, Lottie Moon. And then 35% is going to go to support the work of Christian Challenge. Neil Walker is the director at University of Southern California and also the state of California. And so we're going to give 35% of the offering to them to support what they're doing. And then uh, most years we don't keep some for ourselves, but uh, this year we're going to receive the offering and use it particularly for Church in the Valley outreach and events. Since we launched the Alhambra campus, our budget, we're, we're growing into our new budget. And so... Uh, we don't have a, a lot of money for outreach and events in the budget. And so in order to do for Easter and some other things that we wanted to do to keep letting know people, people know that we're here, uh, keep getting the word out and things like that, we wanted to, to include ourselves in that offering, but really the community around us, not just us, as we try to include more and more people in what God's doing here. And then 20% of the offering is going to support a work in Central Asia. There's some members of our congregation who've been there for years, and uh, they are actually stateside this year, but uh, we, we want to help them with this funding up to $3,000, like 20% or up to $3,000 to keep uh, some work, a business that they have started there to really benefit the folks in the country they work in. And so I uh, wanted to let you know kind of where the offering would go, and then if you'd like to add it to your list this Christmas, that'd be great. You have some time to pray over it, think through uh, what God would have you do, then if you desire, you can give before January 5th. Uh, like John said, we're wrapping up uh, the Money Talk series today, and I, I've had this song in my head for a month, okay? Money Talks. It don't sing and dance, and it don't walk. But I'd rather have it, and as long as I can have you here with me, I'd much rather be forever in blue jeans. Now, you're looking at me like you've never heard that song. I could sing it. You probably still wouldn't recognize it. It's a Neil Diamond song from the 70s. 
but that thing has been, every time I see the title, Money Talks, I start singing that song in my head. Uh, I happen to like Neil Diamond in the day. Um, but anyway, the, the, the heart of that song there, what he's getting at, is, is actually true. You can't expect too much out of money. It only it, it talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. It only it only does a little of what we try to get money to do. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. We we've covered ownership. Money tells us that we're the owners. It seems like we are our names on our stuff. You know, usually we it's on the title to the house. If we have a mortgage, it's on the title of the car. It's there. It seems like we're the owners. But in the Bible, you see a very different perspective. You see that God is the owner. He's the owner who gives. He created everything, and so he, he owns it all. This is a very different perspective than we normally fall into. The right perspective on God's involvement in your finances is crucial. Because a distorted perspective leads to bad financial decisions. The next week, that was the first week of the series, the next week we looked at uh, management. M- money talks to us and it also talks about us. The way we use our money, the way we handle it, uh, shows what's most important to us. It, it shows um, the degree of our vitality in our relationship with God as much as anything else. Our money is right near our heart. And so it, it reveals a lot about us. In reality, we're, we're not owners. We're, we're just stewards of our stuff for a little bit. It passes through our hands and goes to others. And so we're like conduits. And as the money and possessions pass through our hands to others, we want to be a good manager. That's, that's what honors God. We need to engage our head and our heart and uh, get involved in this role and channel our funds in a way that pleases God. Our role is to manage. We don't own. Because eventually we're going to leave it to somebody else. And then last week we looked at generosity. Money talks to us and it tells us to hang on to it, take care of me and mine first, but the interesting thing is, if you follow Jesus, he, he's going to keep leading you to new levels of generosity. Giving is a key area of, of spiritual growth because it's so close to our heart. It, it really is. It's, you know, we, it takes a lot of time and effort to earn the money that we have. It's close to our heart. And as Jesus said, it reveals what's most important to us. Now, this morning, we're going to look at how important it is to be satisfied with what we have. To, to really find contentment in that and to enjoy it. Contentment, turns out, it's a pretty important topic because it's a major help in managing our money successfully in a way that pleases God. What, what makes this so crucial is that we tend to have this unquenchable desire for more. It's... Uh, like it's like an appetite, you know. You feed an appetite. You feed like I love ice cream. If I feed my appetite for ice cream, I just keep wanting more. I just I have to decide to cut it off, okay? Or I'm gonna I'm gonna grow in in you know physical ways <laughs> as I go along. But it's crucial because 
we have this desire to keep getting more and more. Proverbs 27 says, death and destruction are never satisfied, neither are the eyes of man. It's just the way we are. We, we, if we're looking to our money and our stuff to try to get to enough, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. We tend to think if we just get a little more, we'll be satisfied. We try to get more out of money than it can give. It, it can only do so much, like Neil Diamond said. It's easy to look to money and what it can buy to satisfy us. And it's easy to trust in money for protection from trouble. And it does give a little bit of protection. But if I have just enough money, sometimes we think I'm going to be safe. I'm covered. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Listen to what's said in Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves money never has enough. Never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And this is, this is talking about you love this stuff. You love money. You love wealth. This is where your affections are. This is where you're giving your attention. And you're wrapping your heart around this. As goods increase, so to the, do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? Other rich men have felt the same way. This is written by Solomon. Solomon was a very wealthy king in the history of the nation of Israel. And God gave him an extra dose of wisdom in a request that he made to God. God gave him the opportunity to ask him for anything that he wanted. He asked for wisdom to lead his country. He had an extra dose of wisdom, very wealthy. If anybody should be satisfied, Solomon should have been satisfied with all the money and the possessions and the palaces and the stuff. But what you find is, I don't know any extremely wealthy people like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates myself. I don't know them personally today. But what you find this thread through the comments of very wealthy men throughout history. Uh, Warren Buffett said this, Too often a vast collection of possessions ends up possessing its owner. Uh, John Rockefeller, a rich man from uh, the past, I have made many millions but they have brought me no happiness. It's the way it is. Cornelius Vanderbilt, incredibly wealthy man. The care of millions is too great a load. There is no pleasure in it. Here's a picture of his house. One of his houses. Okay, this is just one of them. This is a load here, okay? I know you might want to try managing that, but that's a lot to manage right there. I'm like, my, my house, I've, whew, it's a lot of work, just mowing the lawn and stuff. But anyway, I know you'd probably like to try. Might, might be okay to try. Uh, Henry Ford, the guy who started Ford Motor Company, I was happy, happier doing mechanics work. <laughs> it's not, we try to get too much out of money and it can't give us what we're trying to get out. It only does so much. It's not a bad thing in itself. Money's not a bad thing. Scripture says that God made both the rich and the poor. Being wealthy is not a sin. Many of the great men uh, in the Scriptures, in the Bible, are wealthy, extremely wealthy. Abraham, Job, Solomon, David, many others. But the problem is how easy it is to run to money for shelter when we're in trouble. 
to trust in it. Whenever we believe that more money is the answer to our troubles, we're running towards deception. Running to money is like running to a, a mirage. We're, we're deceived. What you find in Scripture is, uh, this is some advice given by Paul who planted many churches in the first century, and this is some advice he gave to his protege, Timothy, on how to guide his church to deal with money and how to relate to it himself. Uh, what you find is contentment is a choice that we make that protects us. It gives protection. It gives shelter. We're picking up at verse 6 here, uh, which continues a previous thought. In the preceding paragraph, few verses, Paul was describing false teachers, and he was warning Timothy to be on the lookout for them because they twist the truth uh, to get rich, and, and therefore they consider that great gain. You know, they were going after the money. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. A rich life is defined here. It comes from growing in contentment and godliness. That's, that's the definition of great, great gain. Godliness means to have a, a God-reference life. That's what it means. And we choose contentment. And contentment means that you're satisfied with what God has given you right now. You're just satisfied. You're, you're able to enjoy it right now. This moment. Not the next. Not longing for the last moment. But you're able to enjoy life right now. Here's some more of the Bible's perspective. 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 9. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. It all passes through our hands. All of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Here we see contentment protects us from ruin. It's, it's a shelter that God provides. It comes from Him. He gives it. Uh, the New Testament was originally written in, in Greek. And sometimes if you look at the words that are there, it gives some added understanding to the passages. It's not, it's not hard to figure, figure this stuff out. Um, you can get into a dictionary and see what the words mean behind them. And in this passage, there's some extra help we get if we understand the original Greek it was written in. Um, the phrase, people who want to get rich, means to will yourself to be wealthy. This is, I, I just, I'm going to do everything I can within my power to become wealthy. This is it, man. This is my pursuit right here. You're going to do it. And we all have our own idea of what wealthy is. Maybe it's, it's to own a house. Maybe it's to own a bigger house. Uh, maybe it's a new car. Uh, a lot of people, it's something just a little better or a little more than I have right now. We have this definition. The verse is saying here, when we pursue our desire for more than God has given us, we end up 
sliding, we spiral down in a specific direction. There's a spiral path (laughs) that looks something like this. We get tempted because we don't think we have all we need. We get lured into something. The temptation turns out to be a trap. It's a trick, which leads us to foolish or unintelligent harmful behavior. And this blows up into ruin and destruction. So we're spiraling down. This is a specific path you get on that starts with temptation. And the Greek word for temptation carries the idea of solicitation behind it or allure to be enticed or lured into something. It's like, you know, those folks who call on your home phone, I don't know, I don't know if you get many calls like this on your cell phone, but they're good. I mean, they, you answer the phone and you're their new best friend right there in the moment and they, whatever they're trying to sell, they're, they're pretty good at selling it. I've learned to, when there's a hesitation, when I pick up the phone, there's a hesitation. Just don't answer. Just don't go there. Don't even get into the conversation because you may get lured into buying something that you don't need. Temptation cuts to the core of what we want in life. And it's hard to turn down at times. It's really difficult. But that's, that's where the spiral starts with temptation. Uh, the word for trap carries the idea of a trick behind it. Common traps related to finances are cutting corners. Uh, at work to get ahead, working long hours at the expense of your family because you're willing to have more, exalting yourself to look good in front of your boss and others just because you, you want to gain the advantage, you want to get up there. To become a miser is another trap, uh, not spending money or anything, not being generous uh, because security and contentment comes from this stuff. The word for foolish has the idea of unintelligent behind it. Uh, have you ever done something that you thought was extremely intelligent turned out not to be? I, I have. I mean, I, I purchased a, a brand new, untested, and unproven car one time. And I thought, I'm going to show my friends how smart I am by buying this car. And uh, it died an early death. Let's put it that way. It was painful death. For me, it died an early death. And it turns out the company rushed it to the market and they were using, they were just found out they were just pulling bolts and nuts and just, you know, not, not the ones that have been designed for the engine. They were just throwing this stuff together and I paid. I thought that was a really intelligent decision because I got a great deal on the car. Not so smart. There, there was this unintelligent, thing I did, it was foolish because I had this desire for a new car. We get so focused on our goal to be wealthy sometimes that we blind ourselves to the consequences of our choices. We have to be careful there. The Greek word for harmful has the idea of injurious. It just means, you know, you're willing to hurt people around you and you get hurt yourself by by following, following the temptation spiral down. And then ruin and destruction, it has the idea of prolonged destruction of the physical, spiritual, or eternal. 
we get destroyed. If we go down this path, we get destroyed because we're seeking shelter in something that can't provide it. It has, it has no permanent quality to it. So we're warned not to pursue a little more and a little more until we end up at destruction by the pursuit of money. It all starts, this actually plays out in other areas as well. It, 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 it hurts us to, to stand in temptation's way. So we have to be careful. If, if you want to deal with it, you stop it where it starts. It starts with the desire for more. It starts with putting yourself around the temptation. And then the process begins. The, the temptation spiral, which seems like the destruction spiral, kicks off. So don't get in a conversation with the guy who's good at selling you stuff that you don't really need right now. Don't go to the car lot until you're actually looking to buy a car. Don't do that. You'll get lured in, hook, line, and sinker, and boom, there you go. You're gone. Down the spiral. There it is. And that's painful. That's a prolonged uh, situation when you've got payments for 72 months on a car. That hurts. So choose contentment because... It protects us so that we don't lose our faith. Now, this is the most important point in this passage, 1 Timothy 6. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Money's okay. It's the love of it when we wrap our heart around it and we think we're going to get too much out of it. Not good. Evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The real trouble is that the love of money money can cause us to wander away from our faith in God. We trust in it rather than God. And it's, it's not a good shelter. When we grow discontent, we're tempted to think things like, if, if God really loved me, he'd give me this thing I want. I, you know, God can't provide for my needs. God, why, why isn't he? And needs are actually wants. Not really needs. We have to learn the definition of those two things. God doesn't really want what's best for me because he's not given me this. And I know it would be good. So that, that temptation takes us down the spiral to real trouble and, and to, to real de- de- devastation. Discontent tempts and tricks us into this way of thinking to foolish, harmful activity that brings about our ruin. When God gives contentment, It's just like a good home that protects you. It's just like a good shelter that really gives the protection that you need. In a a storm, people run for shelter, especially in a hailstorm or in a rainstorm, heavy rainstorm. People are running for shelter or they carry their shelter with them, you know, an umbrella. It's it's a normal thing. That's that's what people do when it starts raining or hailing. Um, It's also a normal thing to run after wealth. And to want more and to see it as the answer to everything. It seems to be the answer to everything. And it is the answer to some stuff. It's the answer to a broken down car. It's the answer to trouble with plumbing. It's, it's the answer to hospital bills. Money can fix some things. But it can't guarantee what we really need in life. 
It, it, it won't do that. It can't really guarantee what really matters. And it can't bring the satisfaction that we long for. In our passage for today, we're told to run to God for shelter and find contentment. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, along with gentleness. We have a choice. We're pursuing something in life. We're heading down a path. We can pursue what most people run after, money and all that we think it will provide, or we can be people of God and run toward Him and what He values most. And, and if we do, God gives contentment along the way as we look to Him to meet our deepest needs. We choose contentment uh, with what we need and go after righteousness, godliness. Righteousness is, in a, in a given situation, what we're tempted to do is to, to look to gain our, our advantage, to get the most advantage out of any situation that we can. But if you pursue righteousness, you're, you're looking at it, you're saying, God, what is right before you? in the way I relate to this person, in the way I handle my money here, in the way I deal with this situation. I, I do what's right before him rather than trying to work to get my own advantage. Godliness. I pursue godliness. He, God's our re- reference for life in this rather than doing what would give me the advantage. I pursue faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And God promises to give the protection we need in life if we'll go after the things that matter to Him. If we'll give Him the top priority, we'll honor Him in the way we live. He promises to bless. Here's another thought from Solomon. Um, Money is a shelter, but but wisdom is better than, than money. For wisdom is... Protection, just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Wisdom comes from God. If you run to money as shelter, you'll never have enough to experience peace and contentment. You just won't. And we get soaked in the storms because money isn't weatherproof. But if you run to God, He gives wisdom. He, he helps you. You may be here trying to figure out how to handle your money matters. How, how am I going to work through specific situations, things I'm facing, what I'm trying to work with? Run to God. Ask Him for wisdom in working through your money matters. And He will give it. He will help you. He can show you. He will also be enough. And provide enough as you choose contentment with what he gives. He will come through. Here's, here's another statement uh, that Solomon, he keeps coming back through. He, he, he wrote Ecclesiastes in the middle of a midlife reevaluation or crisis. And he keeps coming back to this kind of statement here. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Enjoyment, satisfaction, contentment, it comes from the hand of God. You cannot find it anywhere else. You can find a temporary taste, but you cannot find contentment. It's from the hand of God. Only there. 
We gain the most valuable things as we turn to God and pursue what matters to Him. If you're unhappy with life right now, ask God to help you get back to enjoying it. Can you enjoy what you're doing? Enjoyment will be along the path of righteousness, godliness, love, endurance, and gentleness. This is where God's going to lead you if you pursue Him, if you follow Him. Our time here on earth is temporary. We're all going to leave this planet at some date in the future. And we're going to leave our money and our stuff behind. All of it. It's just passing through our hands. It's going to flow into the hands of others at some point. We're made to be conduits, not reservoirs. We're made to channel our money, our resources, in a way that uh, meets our needs, in a way that honors God, first of all, and in a way that really blesses the people around us. Discontent will stop the flow in the right direction. It turns our focus to what we don't have and away from God's purpose with our, our money and our possessions. It, it, it can cause us to chase the wrong things and bring real harm into our lives and to those around us. That's why it's smart, it's wise to pray a prayer like this. Here's a wise prayer for enough. At the end of the, the book of Proverbs, this is what uh, one man prayed. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. This prayer contains a healthy fear of the right things. The, the prayer of this prayer is afraid of having too much or too little. Too much and he will forget God, too little and he might steal and dishonor God in the way he handles life. He trusts God to decide his portion. And he's content with the portion God gives. And the question is, will you do the same? Content allows us, it puts us in a place to make wise decisions with our resources that God's provided. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in these passages we've looked at today. And we thank you for all the ways that you've met our needs. You've met our need for food and clothing uh, and for shelter. We thank you for the way that you provide God so faithfully. And I ask, uh, as we've been through this whole series... That you take the truth that we've heard and listened to and bring to mind the, the things that we need to do and the steps that we need to take uh, to manage as faithful stewards and to bring honor to your holy name. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.